Hello, everyone. My name is Joanne Lockwood, and I am your host for the Inclusion Bites podcast. In this series, I will be interviewing a number of amazing people and simply having a conversation around the subject of inclusion, belonging, and generally making the world a better place for everyone to thrive in. If you'd like to join me in the future, then please do drop me a line to joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk. That's S-double-E, changehappen.co.uk. You'll be able to catch up with all of the shows on iTunes, Spotify, and of course, all the usual places. So plug in your headphones, grab a decaf, and let's get going. Today is episode 11 with the title, Why Love, Respect, Connection, and Acceptance Matter. And I have the absolute honor and privilege to be joined by Ling Salter. I met Ling online through my local Rotary Social Innovation Club. And Ling describes herself as a formal mental health nurse of Chinese descent living in the UK, striving to thrive during this period of change, disruption, whatever you want to call it, it's an unprecedented time. It sure is. So I asked Ling to describe her superpower, and she said her vulnerability and be able to connect with her purpose in a compassionate way. So hello, Ling. Welcome to the show. Hi there, Joe. Hi. So tell me, why does love, respect, connection and acceptance matter to you? Well, Joe, um, they're very, very big um, sort of concepts there that um, we, all of us um, need um, to a large extent in different quantities, you know, whether we describe it as love, um, acceptance, um, belonging, um, whatever sphere we look at it upon, um, it's really important because um, we, we want to be included, right? Yeah, for sure. And I, I know she used the word belonging there, and I, I really feel a connection with that word. And it means so many things to so many different people, but it's about being listened to sometimes, isn't it? Yes, um, and really being being listened to, being heard, um, sometimes is is quite rare when we all we all like to talk. Talking talking is great, how, and how we articulate sort of how we see things in in our world. Um, that connection um, comes about when somebody else um, who really is listening and being attentive gets you right and um that is where the connection um happens it 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 does and i completely relate to that i mean you you say you're a a former mental health nurse um so you must have come across examples where a lot of people's mental health was impacted by not being listened to maybe didn't have agency didn't have any power decision and you must have come across those challenges working with people Yes, definitely. Um, certainly. I mean, I spent um, my time working in prison, which um, is a very, very challenging um, place um, for the, the people who are incarcerated. And, and it's very, very chaotic and quite a lot of time. Um, there's not a lot of opportunity to connect in the way that you you wish to uh, to enable to really facilitate um, 
for that person to be to be heard. Um, there's a lot of shouting um, and very transient um, interactions, which sort of are very immediate, where they're, they're, they're calling you to, to meet um, a particular need. Whereas actually um, in life, there, we, have, we have needs that we might not articulate just just at that first instance, it, it takes time to actually explore and find out. And um, yeah, and sometimes when um, you experience a mental health issue, um, there's a disconnect. So almost opposite to the connection and find refinding what what your purposes um and your passion what you what means a lot to you um yeah it takes time to find that out mm. so I'm, I'm just thinking as you're talking now i'm thinking about this and thinking so if i'm not being listened to by the people that matter to me well i but i do get listened to by other people am i more likely to, to join a different crowd so well, I feel this sense of value. So I may be in prison if I'm not being listened to by authority, but I am being listened to by anarchy, if you like. I may be more forming allegiance with people who and that, that other tribe. So by the impact of us ignoring people and not giving people the ability to express and being heard, then we're allowing other people to steal their, their attention, if you like. Is that, is that, that what's kind of happening sometimes? Yes, I mean that happens um, quite a lot. Um, areas uh, sort of where people are disaffected, um, say by uh, authority or places that we we think we know that we trust. Well, um, they're not meeting our needs, right? So, if then another group or entity comes by, which actually are able to attend to us. To a certain level, then we we, we 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 can swap allegiances quite quickly because we're we're all all of us are trying to serve ourselves to a certain level. Even if we're wanting to give, well, if you want to give to someone, you you still have to have the means to be able to do it, right? And so, mm. if you can't do that, then you're going to go to to place wherever that is, so that you can do that simple as it doesn't matter whether that place is known for whatever kind of subject levels um we we can swap so um yeah connection is is so important but connection with kindness um which perhaps um isn't really spoke about as much um um i i think is even more important because um we we're social beings. We want to um, try and get along in life um, and um, promote the good within each other. Mm. So you mentioned well-being in there. So well-being is all part of not not physical well-being. There's also the mental health well-being, isn't it? And people, we always associate mental health as being a negative, don't we? Because you, you can have good mental health and bad mental health or poor mental health. So not all mental health is bad, is it? So we, we are often, maybe there's a stigma around just saying mental health because it implies there's something wrong with you. So how do we how do we change that narrative and, and, and readdress that and make mental health seem a positive thing? Yes. Um, I think 
for my uh, speaking on a sort of personal level, um, the word mental in itself, when you, when you, when, when we even just say the word mental, it has um, negative stereotypes. So hence people um, talk about their emotional health or their well-being and they're really um, part of the same things. Um, sometimes some people don't like talking about their emotions, their feelings, thinking, well, well what purpose is feelings got to do with life anyway how you feel is how you feel and you know sometimes we might um deny how we how we feel um which um actually feelings have a habit of actually coming back so particularly um, negative feelings if we try to suppress them um, and we don't attend to them, it will process them in some way, um, they, they will come back without a doubt. <laughs> mm. So as you're talking, I'm thinking that uh, when you said the word mental has got negative connotations and we always think about straitjackets, we talk about asylums, we think about all these all these images of the past where admitting to it, to having poor mental health is, is a real stigma and allowing people to open up without feeling that shame, a feeling of failing for not being able to handle something in their life is, is still a very, it's a very hard for people to do. I mean, I know from my own experience, uh, four or five years ago, I was going through a dark time in my life and I was very reluctant to, to share how I was feeling with people. I, I, I wanted to fix myself. I wanted to sort of, because sometimes you don't have the tools, do you? You, you don't have your own tools within you. You need, a lifeline or, or a way of communicating out of it, don't you? Mm, I think, um, yeah, that's that's very true. We um, when we when we're in a bad place, um, it's very easy for us to disconnect, okay, with others, okay, and we want to protect ourselves. We're, we're protect when we when we withdraw and we don't reach out to others in a way we think that we're protecting ourselves. We're, you know, I'm, 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 I'm dealing with this, even if I'm not dealing with it very well, I'm dealing with it in my own little internally in my own little world. Right. So nobody needs to know that I'm, I'm dealing with this, even if I'm struggling. And in a way, the longer we leave it, the harder it gets to reach out. Wouldn't you say? Mm, oh, for sure. Yeah, it it becomes a kind of self fulfilling prophecy. I'm I'm not feeling great, therefore I don't feel great. And we we do less exercise, we communicate less, we 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 withdraw into ourselves, don't we? And I mean, I, I'm aware that male suicide amongst the ages of 25 to 40 is is the highest proportion of suicides uh, in any in any demographic, and it, it's. There's still a, a stigma about being male and being weak, isn't there? Being able to talk about it. Yes, there, there is this perception that um, you know men, in particular, well, if you talk, you know, men don't cry. Those types of stereotypes, and um, that that actually perpetuates the problem because if they're not able to articulate how they feel or be able to reach out for um, support. That support can just be a conversation, and from mm -hmm. that conversation is connection, and that's why it's so important 
um, well, it's important to me, but the wider message, um, it's important to others and how, well, the, 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 the first port of call in, in the sense of really reaching out to, to another person and um, accessing, allowing someone else to um, sort of a ringside seat to what you're experiencing. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I hear the, the expression, a cry for help. And many people say that when people attempt to commit suicide or attempt suicide, that um, is a cry for help. And they, they really want someone to listen to them, which is why I guess Samaritans and services like that, and maybe your own service, are just someone who can listen. And that's what they really want. They want someone who can just not judge, not have an opinion. They just want to create a space where they can talk and be heard. Yes, um, and part of that listening is also with compassion, with that kindness, um, in with that care that actually um, you matter. What um, what you're going through in your head is very difficult right now. However, you you know you you as an, a human being, your life matters um quite often um when people get to a place of feeling you know or um contemplating um suicide they are wanting their suffering to end okay and um their suffering at that point for them is all so consuming that's overtaking sort of like the whole life there's but that isn't all of them what i'm trying to say is that's not um their suffering is one area of their life they still have uh, there are still they're coming from a point of view of um deficiency um where actually they they have lots of other things in their life that is valuable um but it's covered when they're in that space. Mm. It's quite tough being a human being these days, isn't it, with social media? I mean, if you cast your mind back, I don't know, 15, 20 years, if someone didn't like you, they had to either write you a letter, <laughs> tell you face-to-face, um, or maybe put something nasty on the notice board at school. But generally, you knew who that person was, or, or you, at least you knew roughly where they were. But now you've got no redress because anybody in the world can say something about you that's not nice anonymously without any recourse. And it, it must be really tough to be a, a person who's growing up with body image issues or, or identity issues to be able to put themselves out there into this world that's so judgmental. Yes. Um, I mean, the internet in particular, I mean, the invention of the internet, how great, um, how it's evolved, um, you know, we have access to more information than we ever have done previously and how we communicate um, using the Internet. But the flip side is the Internet is less forgiving in the sense it doesn't allow us um, to be forgotten. Certainly when um, the misdemeanors that 
I'm sure, Joe, you can relate to this, uh, the things that we've got up to perhaps in our younger days and um, things that if the things that we've done that maybe we're not proud of, but nowadays, if those things are so much more, our, our lives are so much more under the, the focus, you know, uh, with social media and, and the internet and the internet doesn't allow you to forget um, because somewhere it's stored on a server and it can be accessed. If somebody really wants to, to dig, they'll find it. And um, so how we try, I mean, it must be very difficult to reinvent yourself if that's, if that's what you're wanting to do, um, you know, in your life. Yeah, I mean, back, back when I was young, um, I'm not quite as old as Noah in the Ark, but I'm in my mid-50s now, which is old enough. If you wanted to take a photograph, you had to find your camera, which probably wasn't with you. It probably at home. You'd have to check you had some film in it, uh, maybe find a flash gun or cube or something, then go and take a photograph. Then you'd have to wait for you to finish, finish the reel of, of film off and then post it off the boots or take it on for developing. And then two weeks later, you might get the films back. So it's very difficult to sort of to take a nasty picture and post something online or, or post it anywhere. Whereas now, every moment can be captured. Everyone's got a camera. Every, everyone's taking selfies. Everyone's, everyone's so live. There is no way of hiding and having downtime. Even if you're having a quiet moment, most people would have a camera on their phone with them. Or, or be in the background of someone else's shot. So it's, it's it's terribly difficult to switch off, isn't it? Yes, and I think it yeah, it can be very overwhelming. Um, um, what you just described there, Joe. Well, that's you you doing it. And if you were to replicate you your actions, sort of um, up and down the country, internationally, um, and on particular platforms. Can you imagine? Well, no wonder all of us are feeling a bit bombarded with the amount of content and lives mm. and choice. There's, and sometimes that choice um, is great when we, we, all, we all like to have choice and autonomy in how mm. we choose to engage with certain things. But then suddenly there's this deluge. You, you almost, it's a bit like a menu when if you go into um, a restaurant and you you see you see a menu of choices of different foods and um great you've got variety there you want to have variety but if you were presented with a menu that was just crammed full of different starters mains desserts you're kind of like you're, you're taking forever to make a decision mm. and um it's a bit like that online um it can be very difficult to then stand. What stand? What, what stands out? When I need to look, I need to look through and see what's there, mm. and then choose. And it's 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 the same. <laughs> but it's so hard to get off the bus to put to use an analogy where all of your belonging, all of your inclusion, all of your circle are in this crowd. And for you to protect yourself, you have to step out into a world where you all your friends aren't. You've lost that connection with people. So in order to fix yourself and back out, you've almost got to go lonely. Uh, it's, where do you find support 
for people who, who turn themselves off. Because by definition, if you've turned yourself off for social media, you're, you're not online. And how do we connect with people? How do we, how do we form new clubs of people who, who want to switch off, who want to not be online at the time? How do we connect people like that? Um, I think ultimately, um, it really is you grounding you in the sense how you, um, you know, you have to know within yourself what your purpose is, your passion is. Okay. And go from that standpoint. So, um, and from, from that, when, from, from the perspective of knowing yourself and knowing what you're about, then how you engage with what, what your passion and your purpose, um, the, the vehicles of how you engage with that um, becomes a lot easier in terms of the, um, which areas, um, which areas, which groups that might, uh, might look like, um, and yeah, if you are fulfilling your purpose, it isn't it isn't just about goals because a lot that lots of people talk about um, specific goals, and then obviously when people can't meet those goals, they get really disappointed because they oh well I didn't achieve X Y and Z. However, purpose and passion go a lot deeper than that, and it isn't a prescribed way to say well you know, you should, you know, go to these platforms and not these platforms. It isn't a, 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 a straight sort of um, yes, no issue. Um, it's it's about finding what works for you. Mm. Do you think that uh, in this unprecedented time, as everyone keeps calling it, I think one day it'll become a precedent, it won't it? It'll become, it'll become the norm. One day we'll get there. Uh, we'll stop talking about... We don't talk about the Roman Empire as being the norm anymore. So I think one day we'll get we'll get used to the idea that we are living in in reality again. Um, so do you think people have similar, different mental health challenges now? Is is this lockdown making some people worse, or is it helping? What do you think? Um, well, it it happened in different stages um, when the lockdown first happened. Um, there was a lot of shock. People didn't know what they were doing with themselves because all their routines of what they knew they were, I mean, if you've got a diary or a schedule, you've got plans and they were all kind of cancelled. I mean, did that happen for you, Joe? Mm. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. My, uh, I, I land, I was in Amsterdam the week before, um, and when I landed, the world had changed. I didn't get the memo. I must. I was away at the time. I got. The, I got back on the Friday, the thirteenth, and everything had changed. And I, I was wondering what happened. And I, I threw myself a pity party for a few days. I had to mourn the loss of everything I had, the loss of my stability. Uh, but one of the things I, I, I think, the class of one of my superpowers is my ability to move into acceptance very quickly and to to be able to bootstrap myself out of that um, doom and gloom very quickly into okay, right, dust myself down. What's next? Let's get back on. Let's carry on doing stuff. So, but that 
I, that's part of my own resilience, which I appreciate not everybody has. And it's, you have to go through that, that grieving stage, that loss, don't you? It's, it's not, is it the seven stages of grieving? I mean, we still have to go through that. We have that, we'll have anger in there. We'll have denial. We'll have, it's not real. Or I, I, I can't see zombies outside killing, eating people. It's, it's just this hidden, hidden thing. Is it real? So I guess people were denying it to start with. Yes, yes. Um, there certainly was a, a difficulty accepting, you know, which you, you mentioned, um, you, you were able to come to a level of acceptance of where you were fairly quickly. For some people, it would have been a real struggle to accept that things completely changed and um, being angry. Being angry, being lost, being you know pitiful, um, and uh, yet there were others that suddenly that the flip side was. I mean, I heard a lot about um, uh, mutual aid, the the certain um, sort of responses uh, that certain sections of the community that come together and um, put together um, uh, support locally and then you know you had the things like the clap for carers that sort of wasn't a seed of an idea and then it just literally spread throughout the nation you know every thursday you 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 go out and clap and we we all, all expected this um response in terms of like the the, the pandemic um getting worse and uh, but for ourselves, I mean, there were uh, it was just um, a, a huge tidal of disruption. Now, some people lost all of their work, and then some at the other end of the spectrum. If we look at it in like a spectrum, others that were just super super busy and didn't have time to even rest. So mm. there was a big disparity, if you like, in those two groups. And then there was this dialogue about who who was classed as vulnerable and who wasn't. And so all of those concerns, you know, there were there were lots of lots of things. But individually, we're all trying to negotiate that period of uncertainty. And um, us humans, we like we like things to be certain. We, 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 that's why we have diaries. We, we plan things. We make sure that things happen at certain times. And um, we're still now uncertain, aren't we, in that we don't know if we're going to have this so-called second spike or um, and things can get cancelled um, or changed very suddenly. I mean, for example, mm. the Spain quarantine, it seemed to have happened overnight. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, people stranded in Spain, people about to take off, people who booked holidays recently, people who booked holidays in advance and told that um, you're, you're covered on insurance up until this date. Anything after that date, you're not covered. And suddenly that's come into play. Mm. And I think people got into this acceptance. And now a lot of people have now found their 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 safe space again in this in this wherever we are. And I think I think there's a new anxiety about the unlocking. Anxiety, we've 
the government was so effective in, in warning people about public transport, in warning people about enclosed spaces, in, in warning people about close contact, and w- warning people about making sure their offices are safe and everything like this. So now people are being asked to go back to work. There's now an anxiety about using public transport. There's now an anxiety about being in an office with people and face masks and the fact that offices aren't the safe, warm, safe place they used to be. They've all changed. You go back there, there's plastic screens and sanitizers and and, and things that aren't familiar. Uh, maybe some people are on furlough. Maybe the work's changed. Maybe the customers are changed. Maybe business is struggling or busy. And so the, we've now got to adjust from the the status quo of, of lockdown and, and the certainty we had about being safe at home to now make ourselves vulnerable again by unlearning all of these things we've just learned about keeping ourselves safe. And now we have to trust people again. And that's, that must be cause a lot of people anxiety that you you must be coming across. Yes. Well, um, you mentioned a, a trust, um, having to, to, to trust and almost that goes back to a connection again, where you're, you're, you're relying on, something outside of yourself essentially um to either work or the 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 information that they give you is going to keep you safe so we'll we'll go we're coming back to that place of well being before we were were told to stay indoors to stay safe and wash our hands and all, all all the measures and we're still we're still in that process of adapting because uh, what almost that it's like an era where pre pre COVID seemed ages away, right? <laughs> and now we're going to um, another a sort of phase of where okay, lockdown is easing. We don't know for sure how that looks like. Okay, we might know that we need to wash our hands more. We know there's more screens. We know there's we need to observe social distancing where we where we can, but we don't know. Well, are are the events that we want to go to? Are they coming back? Are the arts coming back? Are theatre coming back? Are mm. films how we watch films? Are they coming back? Um, all the gatherings that um, perhaps we used to just take for granted. We, we we book to go somewhere, and uh, or we, we attend. Even life has got more complicated again. If you. Mm go to a venue, um, they expect you to book because you then, um, you can't just walk in because um, the the track and trace thing, if you're close proximity with others and you think, well, if I go somewhere and then they, they contact you, somebody contacts you and says, oh, you've been in close proximity with somebody that's been affected, then do you have to then remember um, where you've been? to then pass on the information to the authorities so that they can contact other people that you've been so that the whole thing becomes a big mess and you you can't keep track of it and sort of like, oh, isn't it just easier just to stay indoors? (laughs) Then we, we keep, if we always keep ourselves to ourselves, well, that has its, that has its, um, uh, adverse effects, especially you know, socially, um, you know, we 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 have found that um, the adverse effects to our mental health and our well-being from being apart, um, we we've become less happy as individuals 
Um, we're not functioning as well because, yeah, the, the, the other things that normally keep us well, we've been denied. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the news like everybody does on a – I don't look at it on necessarily a daily basis. I don't think my mental health will stand looking at the news too often. But what I'm picking up on is, you know, look at, look at some of the big corporate decisions, say airlines – um, mothballing or scrapping their fleet of 747s and other, other long haul flights. Basically, their, their message is saying, we don't expect air travel to recover, well, ever, but certainly not for, for, for 24 months, for two years. And we look at, when we look at the big, the film industries, um, Disney and other big film producers have, have indefinitely postponed the release of some of the blockbusters that were scheduled for this year. Indefinitely postponed to me says 12 to 18 months is kind of indefinite, isn't it? That's kind of a long time. So they're saying that they don't see, they don't see film revenue going back to cinemas anytime soon. We, we were living in a world where we thought lockdown will come to an end. And now we're realizing that this, this lockdown is going to be, or the virus is going to be with us for at least 18 months till we get a vaccine, till we can prove the vaccine works. So there's going to be, we have to be cautious for a long time. That's going to change all of our ways of human interaction. You know, we spent, we spent cent, uh, de- decades of evolution going from cubicles and offices to open plan spaces. Banks went from environments where there's all security conscious to open plan, uh, no screens, because we started to value face-to-face human contact. And now we're almost winding the clock back 20, 30 years where we're putting barriers between humans again. You know, I was at the checkouts in a, in a, I think it's Primark at the weekend. And there's perspex screens between these tills. You, there's now a bigger queue to get in the shop than there is at the tills. And that's quite a sad thing. In the old days, you used to queue for like half an hour at the tills in Primark, but now you queue for high, half an hour to get in and the tills are empty. So every, we have to relearn different things. And we're now learning what times of day it's better to go shopping. So you're actually better off taking a half day during the week and going shopping at 3 p.m. on a Thursday afternoon because it's empty. Whereas trying to go Saturday morning, you're queuing in place. So we have to relearn all this stuff. So this is this must be having. I mean, I, I would consider myself a fairly resilient and adaptable person, but there must be people who are really struggling to come to terms with this and you know, bring this back to well-being and mental health. And when you see these messages coming out of large organisations and governments, it's really difficult to plan for the future. As you said, we all have diaries. We want to be able to plan. You can't really plan on what you're doing in September. You can't really plan what you're going to do for Christmas now. Can I have my family? Can't I have my family? Um, so all these things we just can't plan anymore. Mm, I think um, we our plans um, as a whole uh, might evolve around, I mean, staying closer, staying more, much more local to ourselves that maybe um, don't necessarily involve travel at this stage. I mean, mm. I, I watched a, uh, I watched a little uh, input over the weekend about all the provisions they've put into airports, for example, um, the sanitization of all the touch points that like on escalator rails and um, trolleys. And they have uh, remote um, temperature monitoring of people. So to try and um, spot people who might have um, a fever or a temperature, um, which all those measures is to make the, the airport more safe. Okay. Um, however, ultimately, it doesn't stop 
any anybody getting on a plane, once they're on that plane, you still could be sat next to somebody who's got COVID. And that is one of those things. Um, I, mean, mm. I mean, we've all flown where um, on a flight that, that I mean... I'm not sure about you, Joe, but I'm, I'm more adverse to sort of cattle class, as it were, the economy class where people are bunched very close together. And um, the concept of the, the, the whole seating plan is they are trying to sell as many seats as possible to make the, the flight viable to even be in the sky. Um, mm. So the, the, the numbers of capacity is, 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 um, is an issue. And that, that goes across to whether it's a plane or whether it's a, a restaurant in a business or a theater, um, you know, even, okay. In theory, these places can open, but is it financially viable if um, in a theater, You've got to spread everybody out and you're taking perhaps 30 percent of people if they want, if they come, if they mm. want to come. Um, and um, it will take a long time to to build that back up if if it's far. Uh, but the, the, the costs of running um, the, the infrastructure for like a theatre or well, a plane company, um, huge, you know, up front yeah. um, to, have, to have that. Um, yet there is uncertainty about how, um, wh- whether those businesses are still viable, even if they can open now. And, and um, yeah, and, and that has an impact on all of us in how, how we live our lives. Um, we, uh, some areas um, are still yet to um, return. If you want a tattoo, for example, you can't get one. So, um, and you can't even have your eyebrows done, or your or your, or your laser or, or waxing still, can you? I think it's yeah. still personal things. Yeah, any, any personal contact in the face is is hard, isn't it? Yes, and so okay, we're as a consumer, you think, oh, isn't it inconvenient that I I can't access these things? Mm. However, for the person, uh, the business providing those services, yeah. it's their livelihood. Mm. You know, so that, at a time when they've got no income, they're having to invest in PPE, they're having to invest in screening, they're having to change the capacity and the orientation of, of their their premises to cope with people, and without any real knowledge of who's going to return, um, even if people are allowed to return, who's going to? You know, I haven't had my nails done now for like four months. And I'm thinking, I- I've got out of the habit. I could probably get, I, put, I could probably wean myself off it or even learn to paint them myself now. So will I go back? And some people are saying, well, I've let my hair go gray and I quite kind of quite like the badger look. And maybe, maybe people are going to sort of say, well, I'm taking this opportunity to go natural. I've always wanted to grow my hair out. So now here's a chance. So I think we're going to change our habits. So some of these, these businesses, you know, the coffee shop culture we, we were developing, will we, will we go back to the coffee shop culture? I, I went to the pub on Friday for a couple of drinks off, uh, in the evening. And a pub that normally has a capacity of two or 300 was probably about 20 people at there. Uh, and there was room for more. It wasn't like that was the capacity. So people are just not going to the pub. People are not going to restaurants anymore. And you can't just turn the tap on. You know, if you talk about theatre, you're going to have to have all that time to get theatre itself. It might probably some maintenance, probably things need doing to it. 
plus all of the support staff need to be brought back in. The the actors and performers need to rehearse and come together as a troupe. And that could probably take three or four months. So you can't just say, oh, we're going to have a theatre production tomorrow or a new film tomorrow. It's probably a six-month, eight-month lead time for when you start to be able to do something, which is why I guess people are saying, well, we can't make a decision about launching this or doing that because we don't know where we're going to be in January. We need to have some certainty, and there is no certainty, is there? Mm-hmm. I think um, sort of habits is a, a very interesting one. And so from that, there could be new opportunities in the sense, well, when lockdown happened, almost the things that most – it really did focus on what really mattered, you know, um, sort of some of the businesses – uh, you know, we really at that point valued the NHS, the NHS effort. Whereas before, um, I mean, uh, from the government point of view, I mean, they voted so many times not to give uh, public sector workers a pay rise and things like that. And and suddenly, you know, week to week, we're clapping for carers and that mm. focus on, on on the effort and that there was this sort of spotlight that was put towards the, the really valuing people who were keeping the country going and some not not to say that well having your nails done isn't important it matters <laughs> but just um what really kept people going what what people really needed at that point was yes if 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 i fall ill with coronavirus that i would get the the due treatment and um I can still get to buy food or have food. I mean, uh, the mutual aid things, uh, a lot of community groups would give you a food parcel. If you if you were mm-hmm. shopping, you could get a food parcel delivered to you um, so, uh, whilst you're still remaining indoors if, if you mm-hmm. did not have the means. I mean, not everybody has that support network that will say, um, can you get this for me? However, that you know, the, the other flip side is the, the positive is that actually people have become more neighbourly. And um, mm. before, where I didn't know my neighbours quite so well, um, getting to know them better now because people banded together to check on people, check on check on the person that's living on their own, or checking on just more low because we were work, lock, all locked down. We kept ourselves, but we thought, well. Can we just check to to make sure, even if it's through a text or a phone call, is that person okay? Has that person got everything mm. that they need? And that again goes back to connection. <laughs> yeah, no, it does yeah, absolutely for sure. Uh, I was looking at your website uh, earlier this morning before we came online, compassionatecupper um, dot and I love your ethos. It says listen without judgment, explore what is possible motivate towards positive change and guide you in the direction you want to go. So what inspired you to launch Compassionate Cuppa and uh, as a social enterprise? Uh, why why is being a social enterprise important to you? Um, yes, well, um, Compassionate Cuppa, the name um, was really um, inspired, again, through connection and compassion, how when we chat, we we. We, we have that connection and, and talk. And um, Compassionate Cuppa really um, is sort of inspired from 
really helping people um, who are going through a difficult time in their life, um, but help them in the way they want the help or the support. Um, because quite often um, with uh, mental health services, they worked quite a lot, a long time in um, some mental health and social care where the, the, the service is what it is. Whether it's uh, within housing, within the, um, the National Health Service, and um, it is what it is. And there'll be obviously different interventions and therapies, and medication obviously plays part of it uh, within mental health services, and that's it. And sometimes you might find that. Well, for, for a lot of people, they've experienced all of those things and still haven't found what's worked for them. So the creation of Compassionate Cuppa is going from the basis of my, the, the approach has to be adapted to you. So whether you prefer um, a certain medium um, spoken in a certain way, um, certain ideas, um, is really lis- really listening and finding out, exploring because that's not everybody knows immediately what they need. Um, we might think mm. we know, but um, when we complain about something, usually it's about the, uh, an underlying need that's unmet. And so finding finding that out and finding what's possible. So. Quite often, we we might think it's a situation that needs changing, um, but we might not be able to change that situation. So, actually, sometimes it might mean changing what's going on in our heads. Um, and the, the you, you either choose to accept or not accept. Those those are very sort of clear things. But the place of acceptance is something that well only if i just tell you joe oh well you should just accept this well you're not just say oh well yeah right ling i'll just accept it just because i've told you to um your acceptance will come about in your own way would you say <laughs> oh for sure yeah I, you can't tell someone else to, to accept you can't demand respect there's a whole lot of things all you can do is be the best person you can be uh have conversations and discuss things so that you can form your own opinions because if you if you if you take other people's values and views and just agree with them then you don't bring them into your own psyche you don't bring them into your own sense of self do you and i think it's very important to absorb these ideas and, and so they become yours uh, so you accept because you do, not because someone told you to. Otherwise, you'll do it begrudgingly or you'll do it uh, through tolerance, not embrace embrace those thoughts. Mm. Um, I think unless, you, unless you're willing to advocate or stand up for your thoughts, then not, maybe you don't hold them that strongly. Yes. I mean, when other people speak, you know, it is about that resonance. You, if you, if uh, for you to accept there is a, a level of agreement, a level of understanding, a level of resonance, a level of synergy that happens. Um, mm. And it's the same in life, um, w- what we're experiencing. Um, sometimes it is very difficult to accept the situation as it is because, well, the situation isn't conforming, if you like, 
to how we we would like to put or prefer to see mm. things. And we then start fighting. We start that fight where we're trying to change things to make it fit quite a lot of the time. We try to change, mm. we're trying to engineer it. And um, sometimes, yes, the situation can be changed and and we we can influence and change that to make that happen. And sometimes it's actually about the dialogue that we're uh, present. If we've got very unrealistic expectations, then surely uh, adjusting our mindset can um, be more helpful for us, more self-serving and um, realizing what, which bit, whether it's the situation or whether it's in our head, sometimes that can be quite a challenge to identify and so I might be exploring that with someone when I'm working with them um, what is possible because sometimes we're talking about this situation and actually there's nothing in that situation that can be changed so it, it only leaves that person the subject that that if where and with possible to change something about them so that they can feel differently so that they can move on um, because quite often we might be talking about the past that's already happened or maybe the fears for the future um, that hasn't happened yet. We're not, we, we sometimes will fear um, lots of things that aren't yet to happen. And well, none of us have got that crystal ball for sure, knowing, well, what you fear might not actually transpire anyway. Mm. Um and if you put a lot of energy into that fear, it just grows. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've come across the acronym CIA. So you think about what you change. Um, if you can't change something, you, if you can't make a difference, then you have to think about I, which is influence. If you can't influence something, you can't make a difference, and you have to accept. So stop worrying about things you can't change stop worrying about things you can't influence and move to accept and and adapt to the accept and adapt to what you can do and what you can't do because uh, you get if you get stuck in fighting things you can't change or fighting things you can't influence then that's going to when your mental health will suffer but if you can move to acceptance uh, or adapt around those things you can't influence or change that's when you can start it, taking well having agency and having power over yourself power of yourself gives you freedom if you have freedom you have freedom of choice freedom of decisions freedom of what you're going to do next that's when your mental health can be elevated and you feel that passion and purpose again if you live in a world where you're always fighting against what you can't change or can't influence that's when you become you lose that agency you lose that you lose that self sense of freedom which is what can bring you down in, in my in my humble opinion mm. yes certainly you, it, it's a, you, you form um compassionate cuppa you formed as a, as a social enterprise was was there a reason you, you chose it to be a social enterprise was that was a a, a passion behind that oh right well um it's it's interesting that you you um asked that joe because in a way i didn't realize this um compassionate cuppa was always a social enterprise um in the sense that it was a service um where I wanted to other people to benefit. It was really more about, it's not all about Ling Salter and, and, and 
what what I can do, okay? What I can do is what I can do, but it's what I can do for you, for the individual. And um, so in that pivot, that that purpose of um, compassion, helping helping somebody to alleviate their, their suffering was always the forefront. And um, within the, the social enterprise sphere, if I call it, it was really sort of the, the passion and purpose that was forefront, which is great. And I thought, well, actually, um, yes, I want to earn money in, in that process, but really the, the, the social change, the social impact that I'm making is actually even bigger than Compassionate Cuppa in itself. Um, it's uh, if I'm saying to you, Joe, that your mental health and well-being, well, that everything that you do and say um, comes from that place of having mental health and well-being, then for me, it's just so important. All the other issues mm. arise from having that. If we don't have that, we don't have health. Um, if we went back to sort of the, the stigmas of oh, men, men, sort of using the word mental, well, um, we without mental health, there is no health, and because everything that we think, do, and say stems from our minds, our agency, and our our autonomy happens from from within us. It starts from within, and um, if we don't. If we're lost in within ourselves, how do we assert ourselves um, externally? And um, so, yeah, that's why it's 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 so important. And um, yeah, I want uh, I want to uh, make compassionate cuppa. Um, I see the concept of this compassionate community, um, which may take some time because. Um, Perhaps society values. If I had this shiny, blingy product or um, something that I can hold and show you, Joe, that would kind of say, "Da da! This is the final product." That kind of says, "Right, I'm going to buy that." Then that that would be really kind of a quick sale. Um, and um, we, us humans, we like. We, we, we really value instant gratitude. We want things right now. And um, our mental health isn't something that happens in an instant. Um, it's a journey. It's a process. Um, and the, the explore, when you're exploring with someone in their journey, that takes time. Um, and I'm working, if you like, at the other person's pace. Um they may be rushed. They may feel rushed and I'll try and keep up with them in that case. Mm. But other times is actually, um, it takes time for them to process and find out what it is that is important to someone and what the things would really help them move forward. Um, that's not going to be a, a half an hour conversation. <laughs> no. And I think you're completely right in your outlook there. We see so many companies now talk about conscious capitalism, social profit, uh, all of this. They're trying to retrofit their, their corporate social responsibility into their existing business model. And I think it's really important to recognize organizations such as yourselves who from the ground up are focusing on, on social capital first and foremost. 
and well-being of people, well-being of society. So I, I completely admire that. Um, Conscious, we've got only a few minutes left to go in this, and I'm really keen to ask you about Reiki because you, I noticed somewhere I read that you are getting involved with Reiki now. I think you're a Reiki practitioner, and uh, so how do you bring that into your work as well? Well, um, it's more at this stage um, a hobby in the sense that um, I practice Reiki. Now, Reiki means um, it's energy work. Um, it's a it's a Japanese um, practice um, where you're use, you're harnessing the energy the energy of the universe to heal, um, and that both is um, with physical ailments or um, emotional imbalances, shall we say? And um, I had a really bad issue with my hands, really painful wrists. And to the point I, I swapped my car in the space of 10 days. It was like, I cannot drive a manual car anymore. I had to drive an automatic. So it's like, if I don't do this, I won't be able to drive. So, um, and my ability to grip things, I gave up washing up and putting the hoover around the place, <laughs> things like that. It got very bad. Um, and I went through all the medical lines and, um, I was offered a, a hydrocortisone injection, which, uh, steroid. And I was like, I backed out of it right at the end thinking, I don't really know what's wrong with my wrist, but this injection is just a painkiller and it's not going to help. It's more like a plaster. If it wears off after six months, where, where does that leave me? And so um, I went back to Reiki. Um, I bumped into it um, quite a few years ago and I thought, you know, it's not going to do me any harm if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And um, it took a long time. I, I seemed to really take to it. And when I finally um, got to a stage of recovery with my hand, a lot less pain, still still there sometimes, but not, not as bad, um, I trained. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm a Reiki practitioner, but I don't at this stage charge for the Reiki healing that I, I give to people. Um, just because I'm trying to develop compassionate cuppa at this stage. And I think in time, um, I will bring Reiki under that umbrella. Um, but Reiki has uh, made a big difference um, to how I can get about my day um, from a physical perspective, um, the, the hands. So yeah, that's, that's how that came about. <laughs> uh, well, Many thanks, Ling. I mean, we've chatted away for an hour. I could have probably carried on talking for another couple of hours. In fact, before we went online, we, we ended up chatting for about this course uh, beforehand. So you're a very inspirational person, uh, and I love your personal values and what you're trying to do with Compassionate Cover. And I'm sure everyone who's listening will take uh, much inspiration. There's lots to ponder there. So apart from your website, compassionatecover.co.uk, how can people get in touch with you? Um, I'm, I'm on Facebook as a compassionate cuppa and I'm also on uh, LinkedIn and uh, Twitter, um, but on Twitter as compassion cuppa because they don't allow long handles. So, um, but it's been an absolute pleasure and honor to uh, meet and chat with you, Joe. So thank you very much. Brilliant. And just so the listeners are clear, cuppa is C-U-P-P-A, cuppa. 
in that way. Brilliant. Well, a huge thank you to you and for you, the listeners, for tuning in and uh, and sticking with it. I hope that you'll subscribe to keep updated on future episodes of the Inclusion Bites podcast. That's B-I-T-E-S. Please tell your friends. Please tell your colleagues. I have a number of exciting guests lined up that I'm sure you'll be inspired by over the next few weeks and months. And remember, if you'd like to be a guest, then please do let me know. I welcome any feedback or suggestions you may have to joe.awkward at cchangehappen.co.uk. Tell us about future shows. Tell us how we can improve. So my name is Joanne Lockwood, and it's been an absolute pleasure to host this podcast for you today. Catch you next time. Bye.